0: Sarcoidosis in the lungs. What primary care providers should know is a CME podcast episode produced by Primed in partnership with Learn More, Breathe Better, a program of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the National Institutes of Health. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. George Mensah, director of the NHLBI Center for Translation Research and Implementation Science, and Dr. Mridu Galati, associate professor of medicine at the Yale School of Medicine. We'll be discussing what general practitioners should know about sarcoidosis, including the risk factors, symptoms, challenges in diagnosis and how sarcoidosis is treated. So Dr. Mensa, let's start with you to set the stage for today's conversation. What is sarcoidosis?
1: It's a really a very important question for the start. Uh, sarcoidosis is a rare systemic inflammatory disorder. Its diagnostic hallmark is the non-caseating granulomas that can be seen on biopsy. Again, sarcoidosis can affect nearly any organ, but the lungs and the intrathoracic lymph nodes are most commonly affected. For the purposes of this CME podcast episode, we will primarily discuss pulmonary sarcoidosis. Great, so thank
0: you very much for setting the stage. Uh, And so, yeah, we certainly recognize sarcoidosis can affect many different organs, but we'll focus on pulmonary today. Um, Dr. Gulati, over to you. Could you discuss who is at risk for sarcoidosis?
2: Sure. Uh, so individuals who are at risk for sarcoidosis, certainly in the United States, Black Americans, particularly Black American women, are at a higher risk. People of Scandinavian descent are also at a high risk as well. And those who have close relatives with sarcoidosis are also at an increased risk. In the United States, Black Americans have a disproportionately higher incidence of disease as well as an increased risk of hospitalization and mortality. It's believed that sarcoidosis actually develops in genetically predisposed individuals after specific exposures. And there are a number of different exposures that have been suggested, such as insecticides, pesticides, mold and mildew. Sarcoidosis has also been linked to dust created from the World Trade Center And it's also been noted that exposures to beryllium, which is a lightweight metal that's used in the aerospace industry, in metal machining, electronics manufacturing, can cause a disease that looks very similar to sarcoidosis, chronic beryllium disease.
0: Wow. So it's uh, some genetic components, race, and also exposures. Um, Yeah, a lot to consider there. Um, Can you tell me some of the symptoms, Dr. Goliath, that we should be thinking about when we are considering sarcoidosis are a differential diagnosis.
2: Sure, there are a number of different forms of sarcoidosis. They're both acute and chronic forms of sarcoidosis. One particular acute form of sarcoidosis that is pretty well known is called Lofgren syndrome. And here individuals will develop fevers, joint pains, and a classic skin rash called erythema nodosum. There are also specific lung abnormalities that are found on chest X-ray, including enlargement of the hilar lymph nodes. And Loffgren syndrome has a very good prognosis, even without treatment. But sarcoidosis can certainly affect any organ in the body and can cause symptoms related to that specific organ, or in fact, patients can be completely asymptomatic. The most common organ affected are the lungs, but other organs such as the skin, the eyes can also be affected as well. The heart and nervous system are less commonly affected, but when they are affected, they can be more serious. Typically, patients with pulmonary sarcoidosis who are not asymptomatic have symptoms of cough, dyspnea, wheezing, chest tightness, something that suggests a more chronic respiratory illness. But again, symptoms can vary from person to person and it can make it very difficult to diagnose and also can lead to delays in diagnosis. And because certain forms of sarcoidosis really need to be treated earlier, delayed diagnosis in certain cases can be associated with a less favorable prognosis. And it's always important to follow patients, even if they're asymptomatic uh, or only have mild symptoms at their initial presentation over time to make sure that they do not develop new symptoms or new organ involvement.
0: Oh, that's a that's a great description. Thank you so much. So, I see the challenge in identifying uh, sarcoidosis. Could you point out for our listeners what are some of the best practices for primary care and diagnosing sarcoidosis?
2: Well, I think it's most important that primary care physicians maintain a high index of suspicion. They should think about the disease. Um, certainly, in a patient who has known sarcoidosis, because patients with sarcoidosis can develop symptoms in any other organs, they should at least think about it. Um, And certainly there's certain cases of sarcoidosis, sort of a typical classic patient is a patient who has longstanding hyaluradenopathy and is asymptomatic. Um, Again, that should be something uh, that primary care physicians should be considering and certainly work with their uh, subspecialist colleagues to to go further. Now, typically sarcoidosis is diagnosed through biopsy, um, but the presence of biopsy is not enough to make a diagnosis, the entire Presentation, Individual's clinical presentation should really be compatible or fit a diagnosis of sarcoidosis. And other causes should also be excluded, um, including fungal infections, TB as well. Now, typical tests for sarcoidosis include chest X-rays and chest CT scans because the lungs are, are most commonly affected. But other routine tests would include blood tests, looking at blood counts, calcium levels, liver and kidney tests, EKGs, and eye exams. Now, biopsies are often needed, um, and individuals will often be referred by a subspecialist. And typically, a bronchoscopy is frequently done. It's a procedure that can be done in the outpatient setting. It can give, we can obtain transbronchial biopsies, some lymph node sampling through endobronchial ultrasound. Um, we can look at bronchoalveolar lavage fluid and send that for further analysis. And bronchoscopy is a really uh, nice way of making a diagnosis of sarcoidosis, and in fact, some subspecialists rely on biopsying the lung or obtaining specimens from the lung, even if they're worried about another organ. And then just one last thing uh, to note is that patients with sarcoidosis should really be screened for cardiac involvement as well, because cardiac sarcoidosis can be life-threatening. And any symptoms of palpitations or syncope, clinicians should certainly be aware that uh, cardiac sarcoidosis is in the differential and yearly EKGs should be done even on asymptomatic patients with sarcoidosis. And if there is a concern, subspecialists may order uh, more sophisticated testing such as cardiac MRIs or Holter monitors or PET scans.
0: Wow, that's an excellent description. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Galati. And, and luckily in primary care, you know, we're taking care of the whole patient. Maybe we're the ones who can put some of those different pieces of the puzzle together, as you mentioned, maybe with multi-organ involvement and be the ones who say, hey, this could be sarcoidosis and initiate the, uh, the workup using that holistic approach you described. Um, Dr. Mensa. Uh, back to you. Once the diagnosis is confirmed, what treatments are available for sarcoidosis?
1: Well, the the good news is separate treatment options are available. But it's important to emphasize that most patients with pulmonary sarcoidosis do not need treatment. The disease may spontaneously regress without causing permanent damage. Treatment is usually reserved for patients who have disabling symptoms and among the available treatments we know that systemic glucocorticoids can work very well in sarcoidosis patients unfortunately though steroids have a number of side effects including increased appetite weight gain changes in mood and other long term effects can include worsening uh, or onset of diabetes osteoporosis and cataracts so because of these there's a real need to develop other treatments Some of the other medications um, such as methotrexate or a class of drugs called biologic agents, such as tumor necrosis factor or TNF alpha inhibitors may also be considered. It's really important for us to remember that serious manifestations can occur from sarcoidosis and lack of treatment may contribute to developing complications. Whenever there are lung complications, It's therefore extremely important that consideration should be given to the following. One, a referral to a pulmonologist. Two, use of supportive care such as oxygen therapy and pulmonary rehabilitation. And three, in rare cases, vasodilator treatment may be needed to relax the blood vessels in sarcoidosis patients who have pulmonary hypertension.
0: That's an outstanding overview. Thank you so much. And uh, Dr. Vance, I'm sure we'd all be very appreciative if you have some final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience.
1: Well, I think you would agree that it's fair to say that we've made significant progress in the treatment of sarcoidosis. Despite this progress, however, psychodosis remains a complex and challenging condition to manage. That is why we at the NIH we remain committed to supporting ongoing basic clinical and population science research. It's also important to encourage patients with sarcoidosis to participate in clinical trials so that we can develop more effective and more personalized treatment options for all patients. At the National Heart, Lung and Blood Institute here at the National Institutes of Health, Our Learn More, Breathe Better program offers a range of publications and materials for primary care providers to read and to share with their patients. These resources cover topics including chronic obstructive lung disease or COPD, uh, includes asthma, other lung diseases. We also have a fact sheet titled, What is Sarcoidosis? These health education resources are available for free at www.nhlbi.nih.gov forward slash breathe better. Well,
0: Thank you so much uh, for those resources, and thank you uh, to both Dr. Galati and Dr. Mensah uh, for sharing their thoughts on this uh, really important uh, disease that we do see in primary care, and we should be identifying and making the appropriate referrals and treatments. Hopefully, you found this helpful to your practice, and have a great day.